Welcome to March Discourses 2023. Um, I'm your host for this um, episode. My name is Suzanne Newcomb. I'm a senior lecturer in religious studies at the Open University, and I'm also the honorary director of Inform, which is an educational charity that provides information on new and minority religions. Um, that's based at Theology and Religious Studies at King's College London now. And together with me today are Carmen Becker and Dr. Michael Munich, Dr. Carmen Becker as well. Um, Dr. Becker is a postdoctoral researcher in the study of religion at Leibniz University Hanover. And she's been a guest on Discourses before. And uh, Michael is also a regular commentator here. He's a senior lecturer in social science theories and methods and director of learning and teaching at the University of Cardiff. Um, and his work concerns religion and the media um, extensively. We've got a, a, an interesting cross-cultural mix today um, <laughs> of uh, North Americans who relocated to Britain and um, a German European. And we're going to be talking about a religion in the public sphere and a few different stories that we found interesting around public expressions of religion and silencing and um, disciplining religion in the public sphere. So um, where shall we start? We were... <laughs> should we start with... Um, well, let's start with a, a few weeks ago, there was a, a shooting in a Jehovah's Witnesses Hall in Germany, and this mm -hmm. received um, a little bit of attention in the UK when it happened. It got a little bit of attention elsewhere in the global media. And before we started recording, we were kind of mentioning that this, this story dropped off a lot of the British press, um, but it's continued in Germany. And so Carmen was bringing us up to speed about what the press has been saying <laughs> in Germany. So maybe, maybe you could inform everyone about that. Yes, perhaps just to give you a bit of a background, there was an attack two weeks ago on one of the halls of Jehovah's Witnesses in Hamburg. And finally, that this left eight people dead, including the shooter himself, who killed himself on the scene after committing the act. And um, apparently, he was a former member of Jehovah's Witnesses. He left the congregation two years ago. Uh, on a website, on his own website, which has been taken down by now, he stated that he uh, had or that he grew up in a strict religious evangelical household in southern Germany. So this is just a, big, uh, a quick background on it. Also, what's interesting about him, uh, he wrote a book and published it about one year ago. Um, just have the title here in English. It's called The Truth About God, Jesus Christ and Satan. I have not read the book, so I don't know what kind of text it is. It's uh, being referred to as a manifesto or book in the German media. And there he lines out his worldview, basically. So, And what's really interesting, or what I found really interesting, a few issues that came up later on in the German public sphere and how also the shooting was discussed. And as usual, when you have these events, people ask for the motive. So how come... Um, you know, the, uh, somebody does or commits these kinds of atrocities. Um, what is the reason for that? And what came up, and we as scholars in the study of religion were quite surprised here in Germany, what came up was the idea that, that maybe it's the fault of Jehovah's Witnesses themselves, because after all, they're still a sort of a cult. Um, they're not a religion like the Christian established churches, mainly here in, in the German context, it's the Roman Catholic Church and uh, Protestant Lutheran Church. Um, so they're not really true religions in the sense. You have the division between so-called cults and so-called religions. And I found it very interesting how this was being negotiated in the media, you know, this making a difference. And this has e a huge um, effects on the re rhetorics. And also on where you should look in terms of motives, you know. So if Jehovah's Witnesses is a cult and it's an, uh, a hideous cult, then maybe it's the revenge of this gunman who was a former member. And maybe this is somehow at least justified. It's not something that's being spelled out, but it's the underline a bit, right, that you can read in between the lines. And we had in the 1990s here a huge debate on cults and that also was... And this debate was also being um, this was also being debated in a parliamentary uh, 
commission of inquiry, um, what are cows, are they dangerous to German society and so on. And the, the established churches played a huge role in there. And basically, in the final report, the commission said there's no apparent danger, basically. So what I discussed were in terms of the study of religion, new religious movements, right? So back then, basically Scientology and others who came new and who were and still are competitors with the established churches. But the churches here are quite strong uh, in this discourse on cults. And for them, these are they are not only competitors, they are dangerous, you know, dangerous to young people because they suck them into their congregations, into their, into their communities. They are dangerous for the secular state and so on. So, uh, and they're still, apparently with this discourse or this labeling coming up again, they're still quite successful in, you know, using this label in order to classify their competitors. So, and we were just briefly discussing before if there's something similar, you know, in, uh, in the Anglophone world, <laughs> so to say, uh, in terms of, you know, dividing the religious market into cults and religions. And so in the German reporting of this, have they been using the word cult? So the labeling yeah. this group as a cult? Yeah, yeah. the German the German word would be Sekte. Yeah, that came up a few times. It was also criticized, I have to say. It's not so, it's not one-sided. It was also criticized. Um, and um, there were actually two members of our, or scholars of our religious studies committee here who were back then in the 1990s, members of the, of the parliamentary commission and tried, you know, to make... The voice of the study of religion heard. Uh, we're not very successful, they said afterwards, afterwards. And who attended us that, again, there is a discourse on cults going on here, you know, um, trying to divide, you know, groups into cults and religions. You know, 20, 30 years after the huge discussion, uh, it was also a kind of a cult scare in Germany, one has to say, you know, with, with Scientology as the main focus, but also others. Well, it's it's interesting. I've been uh, just teaching my undergraduates this semester uh, module on religion in the news and a case study that I wanted to bring to them that often you know, students are young, they don't, don't know it, but also mm -hmm. it's a story from the United States, but the Branch Davidians in Waco realizing the point of teaching it. It was uh, 30 years ago that uh, that standoff happened and uh, a paper that Catherine Wessinger put together, the 10-year retrospective, looking at media coverage at mm -hmm. the time of the standoff and looking at the 10-year memorial from, I guess, 2003, that would have been done uh, at the complicity of media institutions in the naming of cults and the attempts by scholarly organizations, much like you're talking about in Germany, to be more forthcoming with the news media, to mm -hmm. be open, share their expertise, have that kind of website with a list of experts on call that could talk through, hopefully, gives some more public life to the phrase new religious movements as a counter tonic mm. to the idea of cult. Uh, but how how strong and emotional that word remains and it can still do that divisive work. I think it's so um, well understood. I'll put that well understood in the quotation marks uh, by journalists, by the, 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 the population, by, by politicians making decisions that the, the word still has traction Though we know that, well, we shouldn't just use the word cult willy-nilly, and yet when an event comes up, it's very easy to return that word and let it do its social work. Mm -hmm. Although I think it's interesting in my brief search of trying to find follow-up after the initial incident, I don't think the word cult was used in the British media. Um, and some of the work, like not in the media, but in the most recent issue, so this is spring or, or early 2023 of Implicit Religion, um, there's been some discussion on the changing discourses of cult and how it's, um, for, for maybe the students we're teaching now as undergraduates, they don't have the experience of Waco, they don't have the experience of Jonestown, mm -hmm. and cult is a little bit cool um, sometimes. <laughs> Um, or it could be it could be a good market employee. You you want a cult following, and so the the discourse around the word cult is is shifting for a lot of the public, at least in the Anglosphere. I don't know if it's a, that's the case in Germany. It's not over here. I mean, the, the point is that the, the the German word Sekte is so it's clearly negatively connotated. So it's, there hasn't been no shift in that sense. Um, so there's, yeah, there's no positive reconnotation of the word anyway, in any way, because it's so much, I think so much connected to 
organizations that are accused of brainwashing, you know, of, of seducing the youth and so on, <laughs> young people and so on. Um, it's rather with, I mean, the interesting thing here that is that this happens in a, in a situation where for the first part, the majority of Germans are not members of the Christian churches anymore. So, and this has been the case for two or three years. And also the, you, you see the waning influence of the Christian churches also culturally. I mean, that's try to clinch, of course, at, at, on every opportunity. So you see in the public discourse, so you, you see rather shift towards spirituality, basically. That this is, um, this has been somehow um, separated from a cult discourse, right? And spirituality is positively ask, connotated. It's, it's something good. It gives you resilience. It gives you, you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because sometimes those texts can start to feed that same kind of the properties that people get worried about when mm -hmm. they think of the cult discourse pitched in terms of well-being uh, and mm -hmm. spirituality. Oh, well, this is this is very good. Um, It'll be an interesting research project to see how these uh, different labels just are separated out and you know, are being used to connotate several things that earlier in Germany were discussed under the term or label cult. But I see there is some, yeah, shift towards spirituality as, as a positive side of it. Was there much discussion of, say, like the sovereignty uh, movements uh, with anti-vax in Germany under kind of cult and um, uh -huh. cultic conspiracy? Do they, the kind of con-spirituality, cultic conspiracy that we got in English language yeah. publications. It, it's there, yeah. That's also being discussed under the term cult, indeed. So, yeah, right. Verschwörungssektor. So, yeah, it's cult of conspiracy theory, of conspiracy myth. But it's usually not... Well, we have to wait a bit because it's of such recent... Um, such, such, such a recent event that they emerged. But um, they're usually not brought together with with... Yeah, should I call term them religious cults? I mean, like, like, you know, established new religious movements like Jehovah Witnesses and so on. I mean, Jehovah Witnesses have been in Germany since the beginning of the 20th century, um, and they legally they have the same uh, the same status as the established churches. So you now legally they have been normalized, but right. in, 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 in the public sphere, also in pop cultural, uh, in the pop cultural sphere, it's not that. It's not that far yet, I would say. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is why you have these setbacks sometimes, you know. Um, yes, I think about esotericism. One of the qualities <laughs> of it is hidden knowledge, mysterious knowledge, yeah. and that can denote what's going on with uh, new religious movements in terms of having access to some spiritual truth or a, a godly mm -hmm. truth that others don't have access to. And here, I'm going to explain it to you. But then looking at conspiracy theorists and anti-vax movements, what have you, then you've got the sense of, again, hidden knowledge. Uh, yeah. that's, but, but it doesn't have that, um, maybe I'm, I'm assuming it, it, it doesn't have that connection to a, a larger, numinous, imminent truth that backs up either where the information is coming from that's wrong or where we go, the source, to get the information that's correct. Yeah, I think it's too fragmented, perhaps, because it is, in Germany they're, they're being fed by different worldviews and ideologies, actually. So I think maybe they will come up with <laughs> a common ground or something. But I think it was, you know, being against what was happening that somehow unified them, which was just a common, a, a common issue in, in, in events like that or in, in um, developments like that. But yeah, I would have to guess a bit. <laughs> it's a bit, it's difficult. What but what my main point is that in reporting in the media, they're not being put together, I would say, in one. Mm -hmm. so the point is, Jehovah's Witnesses is not conspiracy theory. It's just religion gone wrong, basically, right. <laughs> in that sense. Right? I mean, because they have their, their sort of Bible, they have, their, they have their rituals, you know, that there is something that is like religion. But it's, it's used for the wrong purpose. It's, it's, it doesn't have, you know, the good source or like that. I would say, but it would be interesting also to look at that more closely. Oh. Well, it's interesting background with the Jehovah's Witnesses is the um, what has been reported more in Britain is the sexual abuse um, mm -hmm. of young people and how that's maybe not been um, properly apologised for or financially 
financial compensation has not been forthcoming um, from Jehovah's Witnesses organization to the satisfaction of um, the people who experienced abuse. Um, and there was an interesting reversal of um, the state of Belgium um, got a um, injunction or, or they, the, so there was um, the state of Belgium um, charged the Jehovah's Witnesses for incitement to hatred. Um, and mm-hmm. in, this was in 2021, but it was fairly recently that that was reversed. Um, and so the, the kind of, so I guess let me try to pin it down on what, what I'm trying to compare here, which is one is that the sexual abuse isn't that different from the Catholic Church or the Church of England or any other the um, Southern Baptist Convention. All, all the established um, churches are dealing with the same problems, which are much more pervasive in our society that we're trying to work out all together. Um, it, it, so there's there's that going on. And it's interesting that wasn't mentioned yeah. um, as a possible motive, to my knowledge. Um, and the the other is also I, I think this um, the the legal battle in Belgium was about um, discrimination, segregation, hatred, or violence um, through their practices of of, of shunning former members. Um, that was mm-hmm. the basis of the the case that was won. Um, and that, that doesn't seem to be, it seems to be a bit too complicated, I think. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> you need too much knowledge for that. <laughs> um, I mean, the, the point is when it comes to, to sexual abuse, it's basically the Roman Catholic Church that that is at the center of attention here. Um, but also other organizations and the Lutheran Protestant Church. But this is a huge issue right now with uh, the, the Roman Catholic Church in, in Germany and possible reforms. Um there's also a lay movement going on in, in the church here. So um, there was, at least to my knowledge, there was no mention of this in, in, after, in the aftermath in the media of, of the attack on Jehovah's Witnesses, something like this. I mean, the point is, what I find interesting, if you think of, you know, cults are a danger to, to our kids, to our young people, and I think of the Roman Catholic Church, <laughs> I think, okay, uh, it's, you know, then the Roman Catholic Church would be a cult in that way, right? Um, and I mean, of course, you can say this here, and people laugh about it and say, yeah, sure, but this does not, you know, this does not uh, appear in a dominant hegemonic discourse, I would say. It's not there. I, I guess it proves that there are still some classifications going on yeah. in people's minds that uh, regardless of the similarity of the cases, oh, but, you know, these established churches, these main institutions are somehow of a different order than yeah. what they'll see as fringe movements, sects, cults, new yeah. religious movements, however we want to put, to, 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 to discuss it. There's still a, a, um, a mental category shift that's yeah. going on. Um and I wonder how much that's just time and, well, certainly the, the dominant power Yeah, I think you would have to dig deep, as, especially in Germany, since you have the established churches that have their own subjects at uh, public schools. So you can have uh, Catholic religion being taught to, to uh, um, students here and in schools, um, Protestant religion and so on, and new now is, is Islam, but from a theological point of view, right? So it's also the churches and the Muslim communities that provide um the teachers and so on and i think the point is what happens when you have this is that you somehow acknowledge that they have a positive role mm-hmm. uh, for, for society at large generally authentically a positive role and that what happens in terms of child abuse uh, sexual abuse uh, these are deviations you know from the actually at the core good role or positive role these organizations can play. And this is totally not the case when you speak of cults in Germany. It's almost reversed um, yeah. on the kind of complexities yeah, of all. Yeah. They're being scrutinized when they do something good. <laughs> like, okay. There must be something behind it. There must be some intention, some sinister intention. I'm exaggerating right now, but just to see, because I would agree with you, Michael, it's, it's a totally different mental category. And this is being socialized. I mean, children learn this year from elementary school on, I would say. I mean, there's some shifts there, um, but uh, it's it's interesting to see how at a young age already this is instilled. Or it's not explicitly; it's implicitly in the school system. It's carried. It carries in. It's carried in there. Yes. 
So let, let's move on to another story we wanted to talk about that, that seems quite different, but I'm sure we'll, we'll find a linking between, which is um, the, the cult of Scottish nationalism and who's yeah. going to lead um, <laughs> the Scots now that um, Nicola Sturgeon has, has announced her regis- res- resignation. So if you want to introduce that, Michael. Sure. Yeah, it's interesting. The 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 resignation of what was sometimes called Saint Nicola is uh, um, was a lot of surprising for a lot of people, uh, um, and she and the party have had some political difficulties uh, for a while. Um, it, it, partly in relation to Westminster politics, and partly in relation to their own domestic politics going on. Uh, but that resignation kicked off necessarily the election of a new leader for the party, and with that, the new first minister in Scotland. It's an interesting position to be in because uh, um, that has been that criticism has been levied from the regions and from the opposition critics of Westminster politics that the, the Conservative Party nationally in the UK has replicated its the Prime Minister mm-hmm. through leadership debates outside of elections and here the SNP is in the same position but I don't think that that's uh, a terribly strong critique of what's going on. What's really surprising is that religion became this super galvanizing issue in leadership contest um, I had heard Kate Forbes' name mentioned as one of the real front runners. She's uh, the finance minister. She's a young politician who had been on maternity leave um, and was just coming back as the question of will she, won't she put her hat in the ring when she arrives. Um, and she was uh, rather quickly vaulted into public prominence by taking on the role uh, when the incumbent finance minister had to leave office in rather a hurry for his own uh, inappropriate dealings uh, and impressed people with her ability to be on top of the brief and do the, you know, bring the budget forward, mm-hmm. talk about these economic matters. So when the discussion started coming around her opinion about same-sex marriage and then abortion and all manner of things. I mean, the stories kind of keep coming, conversion therapy. Uh, these are all kind of hot button issues right now in the UK in terms of um, the morality politics that institutional religion is often uh, categorized in. And so this is where you are expected to have views mm-hmm. about it. We know that religious people can have a lot of views that are inspired by the religion on many different fronts, but these are the ones that come up that are labeled as controversial in journalism and now that are causing some difficulty for uh, the, the leadership. Um, she is a member of not just the Church of Scotland, but the Free Church of Scotland, which is a, a, a split um, denomination off of a, a notionally, well, it's a, it's a reformed Protestant Calvinist uh, um tradition. It's the national church, the Church of Scotland, uh, but not the established church in the same way that Anglicanism uh, dominates in in England. Um, So the free church is seen as more serious about its religion and, and, and having a stricter understanding of religion. You talk about the strict evangelical upbringing that this person in Germany Mm -hmm. uh, described themselves as having. Um, So where we might see that coming up sometimes, for example, when there were by-elections or, or ballots, the ballots were returned a day later from the Western Isles because uh, they don't count ballots on the Sabbath. So it's that kind of you – know, so it's seen as a bit of a curiosity and a bit of old-fashioned tradition when it comes up. Uh, but now it's attached to this young leader or potential leader of, of the party and therefore – who's going to be in charge of Scotland. So the questions are partly about her belief, whether it's right for the journalist to ask these questions in interviews and interesting that she would be forthcoming in her answers, playing that line of not wanting to separate entirely her religious beliefs from who she is, but also trying to underscore that, well, I wouldn't let them influence my political decision-making and regardless of my personal beliefs, I can still govern the, the country as a whole. So it's come up in journalistic questions, and then there is that that question about whether your personal beliefs do matter in terms of the, your ability to lead a polity that doesn't all share that tradition. And that's uh, that's an interesting test for Scotland, I guess, sort of to, to conclude my little description of it, that uh, the recent branding of the Scottish National Party has been so much about this discussion academically about civic nationalism whereby being born in Scotland, having a Scottish surname, having a Scottish accent shouldn't matter. 
you're in Scotland, you're committed to the project of Scotland, and therefore you're you're welcome to be part of it. And that's been very effective. For example, galvanizing one of the other leadership candidates, Guy Hamza Youssef, who comes from uh, the Pakistani uh, ethnicity, uh, but born in Scotland, uh, uh, raised there, and um, demonstrating in a way that you don't need to have a certain set of characteristics to still be active as a Scottish nationalist in politics and even have a shot at leading the party. So where do those abilities to transcend your personal characteristics mm -hmm. in leading your country lie? That's at the heart of these these questions around leadership. And it's also interesting to, to think about um, I mean, if, if you if you think about the question of transcending, you know, certain uh, certain characteristics, um, how are, are people believed when they try to transcend these characteristics? And is it? I mean, if I think about Germany, I would expect um, that there is a tendency to believe more people who have a Christian background and they have some kind of Christian characteristic. Uh, as compared to people who have a more Muslim background, because there's always the scrutiny coming in again, right? Um, yeah, so we're really seeing that reversed in this uh, mm -hmm. case, the Scottish leadership question. Yeah. In a way that the, the questions weren't put to Hamza Youssef until they'd been discussed so much around Kate Forbes. And, <laughs> and, and, and then he was coming in very strongly they're saying, well, okay, well, so you then sincerely, you're a Muslim, Islam doesn't necessarily uh, support same-sex marriage or same-sex relationships either, so what would you do? And he'd say, oh, well, I've said this before, regardless of my you know faith community's perspective, I have always supported Mm -hmm. the march towards same-sex marriage and uh, in Scotland and support the legislation unequivocally. So he's been put on the stand himself as well as Kay Forbes, but only after. And it was a bit of a question about why they were asking tough questions of this Christian candidate and not of this Muslim candidate. Oh, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. And do you have the impression that she is successful in transcending this <laughs> to have a, like a broader project uh, to appeal? Yeah. That people can appeal to. I, I think time's going to have to tell on that when it's yeah. really hard. For one thing, the scrutiny in Scottish politics mm -hmm. and the media relationship is a very difficult one anyways. The media, by and large, are uh, more unionist in their leanings. Uh, mm -hmm. There's one, I mean, the, the, there's a newspaper called The National that is demonstrably pro-independence for Scotland. And then uh, the, the Herald, one of the broadsheets that comes out of Glasgow, has seemed to be kind of trying to do a, 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 a all sides perspective, whereas others have been more staunch on keeping the union together. So the scrutiny of the Scottish politicians, the social media discourse as well, people feel so invested in this, uh, a worry that these questions of religion impairing the project for ardent nationalists of getting Scottish independence mm -hmm. is very dismaying for them and feeling that this has no place in the discussion anyways. Um, but then, you know, if it, if it hurts the project, should we not have this person in leadership? So I, I don't know how successful she is being at leaving away from her personal yeah. beliefs and characters and saying, but, but I'm still the right person to lead the party. I can still take us forward and I can push our cause for getting a referendum or to guiding our independent policies that make Scotland distinctive in the UK and push the case to to, to lever us off of the, the union. Mm -hmm. So what so you then said that the anxiety that the, the nationalist project is, can be impeded by religious sensitivities, um, that this lies, that, that, that there is a sort of, of, of a secular or secularist um, national narrative in Scotland that is very hegemonic then. Yes. Religion does not have itself a distinct place or... Well, it's interesting because, you know, as I mentioned, when bringing uh, uh, characters like Hamza Yusuf Finley, they've been trying mm -hmm. to demonstrate that uh, Scottish nationalism in Scotland has no religion per se, that of yeah. all religious traditions and none, you're welcome because you're committed to the project. So I wouldn't say that they imagine nationalism as necessarily eradicating religion from the discussion, mm -hmm. but that trying to make it a big tent and bring these voices in. Uh, but there are voices that are emerging that just – because Scotland's march under the SNP has been so much about progressive politics, 
demonstrating almost sort of a Scandinavian style of uh, social progressivism that mm. is distinct from Great Britain as a whole, distinct from what England is doing. Um, and they may be saying, well, see, this is why we just shouldn't be talking about religion and these things. This is why we, we just can't let these things interfere with it. So that is seen in almost religious terms as the most mm -hmm. important thing. That's your ultimate concern. And we're going to go with that yeah, language. That's the project, uh, actually. And, exactly. <laughs> and so uh, if these things are detrimental, then they need to be kind of a, a, a downplayed or diminished from the, uh, from the, the conversation. Okay. Can you hear her? No. no. <laughs> uh, sorry. Oh. Um, <laughs> kind of thinking about the discussion of Scottish um, nationalism in the, in the longer durée, it's in the English press, it's often derided as a religion when they want to kind of mm. discredit it. And so this kind <laughs> of progressive, um, uh, different than Little England's model um, is, is it's kind of like a cult because... It, it, it's so fibrant. Um, and like you said, uh, St. Sturgeon. Um, so it's interesting that's that's been shifted over to the side in this question of personal relig religiosity and how that relates to a kind of public, is this or is this not a good or a bad religion? And how are we using those terms to categorize things? Yes. And, and I, I think that I actually did my PhD in Edinburgh during the time of the independence referendum in 2014. So it's very interesting to be present among it. And you're right that seen from the outside, it is belittling through that kind of uh, using the religion language as a way of slurring the project and saying that it's not, it's, it's somehow incomplete. Um, and also making it a bit of personality politics. Alex Salmond was just seen as this almost sort of messianic figure, whereas the people who are inside of it trying to say, no, it's not these things at all, and that it's uh, it's it, it's it's this credible, coherent thing that just happens to not have much to do with London. <laughs> um, and that's, I think, what, How dare what, you? <laughs> yeah, well, exactly. That, that, that English commentators somehow can't quite get their heads around a vibrant regional politics that is concerned <laughs> of its own thing for its own sake. Um, so whatever labels that help them to characterize it in a way that makes it easy to, 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 to delimit it and to, to, to not take it seriously um, are often... It's really interesting how different a perception in here is in Germany, where Scottish nationalism is taken very serious, and and also as as a, a new, yeah, more progressive project than what England is is presenting at the current moment. So it's mm -hmm. very much positively connotated, actually. Yeah, and for my version <laughs> in, in Wales, which is another nation that's you know has a, a, yeah. a some independence movement, but not nearly as developed uh, as Scotland's is, has been looking to Scotland as sort of this guiding light for what's possible <laughs> uh, um, and how we could pitch our projects into the same way to to build a politics yeah. that develops along those lines. So the succession is an interesting one. Then the succession from Salmon to Sturgeon happened pretty handily, um, mm -hmm. and they've maneuvered that but this this doesn't seem to having uh, such an easy ride so mm. but i find i find the narratives very interesting the, the narratives that are being you know we woven around these projects and how um you try to accommodate different social groups and political groups in these narratives in order to i don't know um get everybody on board <laughs> on board for for the project and how religion comes in there very differently and with different concerns sometimes I mean, sometimes religion can also be narrated in a progressive way, you know? So, um, yeah. And then linking on to, to, to the, the next story is, is this tension in modern European history about thinking about religion. Is it a matter of private um, conscious or is it a matter of leadership and who, who you have to um, – uh, is it a public – a public performative discourse or a, pu a public performance. And so the, the story I wanted to draw attention to is a little bit obscure, but I think quite interesting on this regard and, and links into these. Who, who is to judge if something is religious or something is disturbing to the public um, safety? Um, there's been a, a new law um, to create buffer zones around abortion clinics in England, which uh, many of our American listeners will be very familiar with, but this is a much less big deal here. Um, and there's a, a area in North Birmingham um, which has got a 150 meter buffer zone now. And the interesting thing that's been 
reported just in kind of more specialist presses is there's this woman, Isabel von Spruce, who um, was well known for being an active protester outside the abortion clinic. And she's been um, arrested and um, charged and then released um, for after this exclusion order went into effect for silently praying within the exclusion zone. And there's um, some video and some reporting in the Catholic press about her, her rights. So she's just there silently with her head down, but because people know who she is and why she's there, it was still experienced as a public protest, which I think is really um, fascinating discussion and, and, and nuance to ha- who gets to decide when is it a, a mm a social harm who gets to decide when is it genuinely religious um yeah <laughs> yeah i'm interested i i found a um a daily mail article about this as well and their the the gallery images they include with it uh you know it's 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 striking they're they're very positive pitch to her uh, um and that sort of very serene look leaning against a wall, eyes closed, head slightly inclined. Um, but but you're you're right, if you're coming into that space and you 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 know who this person is, um, you see that differently um, from just passing someone on the street wondering what they're up to. Um, And how how was she identified? I mean, were, were people passing by and and seeing her and In directly video. knowing this is person and she's praying actually, and this is a buffer zone, because there's a lot of you know things that need to be going on in your head so that you can identify her and also you know put her. Um, <laughs> from, from the video of her arrest, it, it seems that it was uh, complaints from the neighbors, which is uh, okay. the, the, the kind of traditional English neighbors who are peering out their windows and were encouraged <laughs> to report on each other in lockdown. On, or are they having garden parties okay. with non-social distancing? Um, <laughs> so it's a very little England type um, yeah. story. But the, the more supportive press and the charges have now been dismissed um, was kind of framing this on like, this is, this is thought control, this is thought police which of course is the English way of, of saying your, your, your beliefs are private, but it's when you enact them in a, in a disturbing way to the public that they become a public concern. And that was a kind of compromise made in, in common law here, I suppose. Um, and yeah, yeah. But it's, it's even if, even if she's not saying anything, it is a public statement, um, like, like the die-ins of Extinction Rebellion, um, and, and non-violence protests, um, which I find a fascinating tension in, in our societies of, of how do you um, how do you democratically I- include non-democratic protests to un- to laws that are under negotiation or, or restrictions in society that are under negotiation. It is something I wonder about a lot when I think about, for example, the people who would, um, you know, glue themselves uh, to each other, blocking off highways. And um, there's a feeling that, you know, well, because of the, the, the <laughs> worth of their cause, that there shouldn't be legal repercussions for it. I think, well, but part of the protest is to put yourself in the way of rep- known repercussions. If it's against the law to do this, you expect to get picked up and either one or two things is going to happen. You're going to be prosecuted under the law for what's happened and suffer some consequences that are known before you take the act on, or your the, 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 the worth of your project will undermine the law that you see as repressive and lead to it being changed, um, which I suppose is, uh, it doesn't sound like that's what's happened in this person's case either. The, the, the charges have been dropped, but she's still being monitored. So I guess the fight is ongoing in that regard. So, I mean, if I understood correctly, it's just her presence in this buffer zone with a certain inclination or a certain position of her body that gave some clues, basically, right? And the the neighbors (laughs) that saw her regularly and thought there's something wrong with her. (laughs) That's interesting. I mean, I wonder if that, did not really also amplify her voice, you know, in a way that she might not have intended, but especially when you say it's being reported quite uh, positively, or at least 
not very negatively in the, in, in the, in the media, at least her actions are her, whatever you call it. <laughs> it's even difficult now to, to, to label the action, what she's been doing. Um, I think it couldn't have been, it couldn't have, it couldn't have gone better for her cause, right? Mm. <laughs> yes. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yes. And free speech debates are kind of, um, they're, they're in, I don't know if they're at a, the same fever pitch of ascendancy in UK as in mm. other polities, but certainly people see this, you know, oh, now you can't think, now you can't speak your mind that, uh, that this, uh, um, the, the the woke police and the cancel culture is preventing yeah. these things from from happening uh so there is a broader discourse that her action fits into uh, mm -hmm. people you know demanding their their ability to bring their views forward in a public way even if they aren't um shared as correct by the establishment or by the institution um yeah, it's also a question of where do you, you know, where do you make use of your freedom of speech? You know, I, I'm just thinking of the buffer zone and the abortion clinic that is there. I mean, you could she could do this in any other space. Of course, she needs to do it there in order to have to be heard and to have an effect. Um, I mean, the point is, you have similar discussions here going going on in Germany and diff on diff yeah, different occasions. Um, and there's also it's also like a scare going on that there's a woke police <laughs> in Germany, also in academia, also in the study of religion, <laughs> that you cannot say specific things. And the interesting thing is, while saying this, people actually say these things, right? Yes. Uh, and interestingly, she doesn't talk. Or she didn't talk, right? She just stood there. That's. I like the performative aspect, I think, of what she has been doing. I find this very interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I, I'm not sure whether she thought, gave it a lot of thought beforehand, but I think it's strategically, it's it's very well done. <laughs> there, oh, there's not my cause. <laughs> there is a question on, on theological grounds, though. You, you, you raised an interesting point, you know. Does, does God hear her prayers differently if she's praying at her church with a a, 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 a prayer circle gathered together? Or, yeah. you know, does, does it speak louder i mean it speaks louder i was in a social side by yeah. being present in that space but that gives an indication of where the 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 direction of the the, the motivation is it's, it's not any more exclusively religious one but a political and a social one as well um because that presumably the people who are concerned about uh um women getting abortions are praying vigorously for them in all sorts of circumstances uh up and down the land taking into that space is you know, it's not more theologically effective. So what is it instead? It, mm -hmm. You know. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> Are there any yeah. other um, stories we want to get to before we wrap up? And maybe I would just would like to briefly touch upon the issue of the ecumenical service we discussed this before we started recording right that and, yes um because i find this really intriguing uh it's something that happens quite often in germany when there is like a shooting like we had two weeks ago or something else that touches upon the nation so to speak um and there's some healing is needed there will for sure be an ecumenical service being organized by the established institutionalized christian churches and the same happened in this case with the shooting at the Jehovah's Witnesses Hall. Interestingly, Jehovah's Witnesses were not included in, you know, organizing the service. They were just uh, invited, and they were invited at the same time uh, on a on a press conference. So at, at the same time that the public got to know about this, Jehovah's Witnesses got to know about this. And just to remind us, they're the victims in this in this uh, affair and I was thinking uh, I kept thinking about the, the, the performance and the function of of these ecumenical services in Germany you know and also I checked a few statements of the churches what I want to achieve by it it's like statements like you know presenting a sign of hope in dark times for example you know or um, giving more reason to hope, you know, and also consoling the victims, of course, and um, policemen who were involved and uh, who did obviously a, a very good job on the side, you know, being able to um, to uh, 
to prevent more shooting and more dead. So these are the things they say in statements, why this is, you know, very important. So it has, you know, and yeah, I think again, in, in terms of, of nation or nation building, I don't know. I see that I still have some influence there in terms of we bring you all together. And we mourn all together, but effectively they exclude people, you know, because they're from cults or so to speak. Um, so I found this very interesting also in this case, again, um, you know, how they try to hold on to this performance also to show that they're still important and to perform this for, yeah, for, for the German society, I guess. <laughs> It is a bit paternalistic in a way it because it's basically saying we'll do this for you. You know, yeah. you're welcome. We'd love for you to be there when we're commemorating this sadness and this trauma that's been visited on your own religious community, um, rather than imagining that they should be a part of the preparation for that. Or they could even host and lead a service like that themselves. Yeah, they should go to Jehovah's Witnesses Hall and, you know, take part or at least be present in their commemoration uh, services, whatever they do. Jehovah's Witnesses, they reacted accordingly. So they um, they found this very disturbing. Um, mm. Also, if you think of the history of Jehovah's Witnesses, they were one of the persecuted groups uh, during uh, the reign of Hitler, right? <laughs> they were being put in concentration camps. Um, so they have a very, very um, violent history where the violence was put upon them. You know, they were the, and and this is being totally, um, at least from current memory, it's not there. It's not present, right? But for and them, it's still it's very much present, right? It's very much, and it's still a current part of the Jehovah's Witnesses narrative in their um, being jailed in Eastern European Russia, mm -hmm. um, kind of Kazakhstan. They're still um, because they don't agree with military service or vote or participate fully in mm. the secular state um they're yeah. considered kind of opposed to um the state in some regimes where they can be kind of quietly otherized but tolerated in most of western europe and america yeah yeah, yeah more i'm and I'm not an expert on the Jehovah's Witnesses in Germany. I have the idea they're more quietist in the sense they they you know they perform their duties, but they don't. Um, they have certain limits, you know, <laughs> what they cannot do according to their idea, their, their beliefs, right? Um, so it's. I, I think it's just interesting how they or what what public memory has recorded when it comes to Jehovah's Witnesses and what they as a group have recorded. And these recordings are not the same, basically. And this leads to this, these kinds of, in these kinds of situations for them, that they were totally um, flabbergasted, that they were invited to the service, you know, being the victim and just coming to terms with, with what has happened. And the invitation came on a press conference three or four days later. Um, but this is not. This is something like one or two newspapers have pointed to this, right? That this is paternalistic indeed. But for the rest, it's just normal. And I thought maybe this kind of ecumenical services they are so normalized in Germany that they come up whenever something happens. So <laughs> they've kind of lost that power, really, in a way, by filling a very replicable function. Yeah. I, I mean. On the one hand, it's it's just not surprising that the the Jehovah's Witness should have that more quietest approach in a you know very secularized polity mm -hmm. where religion is not seen as terribly central to decision making mm -hmm. in public life. Um, but at the same time, has there been any response from, for example, the the, the Lutheran Church to that public? upset at the way this was handled by the Jehovah's Witnesses? Has there not been any kind of, of, of right? humility no. or anything? Not, not really. I mean, the ecumenical service has already taken place. Right. Um, and, um, I mean, I, interestingly, both churches that have um, institutions within their hierarchy, within their structures that deal with what they call cults and worldviews or ideologies, and this is where they do a lot of um, public relations, you know. Um, and they're, they're, they're still they're still problematizing Jehovah's Witnesses. Mm. So they put forward, you know, papers and briefs and, and stuff like this to the broader public, put them out in, in press releases, you know, distribute them. And they have a good structure here. And 
um, I think it's difficult for them to be inclusive all of a sudden. Right. right? To, to change <laughs> the rhetorics. <of laughs> um, yes, it reminds me of, uh, you know, comments that our, our previous monarch, Queen Elizabeth II, would make and that, uh, um, you know, we see uh, a lot of questions around her successor, King Charles, the, 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 the role that the monarch plays as head of the church uh, and but not just the Church of England then, but taking on a role that is representative of religion as a whole. Mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, I speak for faith, not just, you know, this question about defender of the faith, defender of the faiths, but also defender of faith comes into that, that removing the article entirely and just the, the category of religion is one that is protected, seen and amplified uh, by, by the monarch, the head of state. Um, and questions from non-Anglican voices saying... <laughs> Why would you presume to take that role on? And uh, who, you know, who, who gave you that? And how do I know that when you represent faith in public life, my version of faith fits into that? I mean, at least the churches here say they stand in for the ecumen, you know, <laughs> not for faith in general. Which is really a huge claim, indeed. <laughs> yeah. Well, well to be pretty clear, the, the, the subtraction of the article was my own sort of musing on the thought. I don't know if that language okay. is quite comfortable. Well, that's not a quote. <laughs> but it, 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 is, it relates to things that I think that uh, – I think it was what um, Elizabeth said at, the, uh, at the, the Golden Jubilee, but it was really sort of – you know, there's a, uh, an event that various representative leaders of different faith traditions brought gifts, and she was speaking about very positively about the role of faith in British society at that event and seeing it as her job to – amplify that so i think we can still we will still pin that on the monitor so. <laughs> so it's, it's by trying to be inclusive actually to be very paternalistic and being exclusive mm. <laughs> at the same time that's some kind of contradiction in there of ambiguity not of contradictions mm -hmm. and, oh, absolutely shows yes. why religion as a category of thought is still completely relevant to understanding society yeah um, <laughs> Indeed. Well, who is again <laughs> yeah well thank you very much i think that's a good place to end our discussion today and we look forward to seeing you at the next discourses the rsp is sponsored by the british association for the study of religions the north american association for the study of religion and the international association for the history of religions the religious studies project is produced by the religious studies project association scio a Scottish Charitable Incorporated Organisation, Charity Number SC047750. Brought to you by Editor-in-Chief Andy Alexander and Founding Editors Chris Cotter and David Robertson. Our features are edited by Israel Dominguez and Savannah Finver and our Opportunities Digest by Trevor Lynn. Audio editing by Alex Matthews and Nathan Springer. Podcast transcription by Ayesha Javid and Jacob Noblet social media managed by Candice Mixon. Don't forget, you can support the project by using our amazon.com.co.uk and .ca links or donating at patreon.com slash project rs. And you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, iTunes, Instagram, and other portals. Thanks for listening.